Soccer. I am your host, Michelle Hooting, with my co-host, Christian Conway. The, 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 the stretch run is now in full session. <laughs> and it is quite the soccer day if you're a U.S. men's fan and an L.A. Galaxy fan. Uh, we've got it back here for you. Episode 24, Season 3. Uh, time is not real. Um, but what is real is actually how much time the Galaxy and the U.S. men don't have to keep losing games. So as we dive into the U.S. men's um, national team, um, internationally for World Cup quali qualifiers, as you might know, uh, seven Galaxy players have been called up. And, um, I mean, put it this way, Berhalter learned what's not good about squad rotation and resting some players against Panama. But you say it's not the end of the world, Christian? Yeah, you know, I, I think every qualification cycle, you're going to have one of those Panama games, right? Where it's just you go to a very tough place to play and just the other team wants it more. And I, I don't think that's necessarily the end of the world. Now we look at kind of the global issues of what this qualification cycle is. It's three games. It requires a lot more deftness in terms of willing to kind of go out and, and rely on your BC players. And also, like, also, we have to talk about the fact that, for example, the England contingent couldn't travel because Panama is a red list country, and therefore they would have to take a 14-day quarantine when they return to England. No club wants to have to have that burden. So there, there's a lot of other extenuating factors in the Panama game. I think, you know, when we talk about the game, these two, these past two games, I think the game that really gave us a lot of the most uh, meat on the bone, so to speak, was the Jamaica game. And I think it was really interesting to watch that game. They go in nil-nil at halftime, and... A lot of the conversation around the U.S. men's national team right now in terms of the way that they want to play is verticality, that they want guys, when they receive the ball, immediately turning to goal and then hitting the empty space. I don't think we saw that a lot against the Pan uh, against Panama. I think you know we watched a U.S. team that was more than happy to check back all the time. And we saw that in the first half against Jamaica. But you notice in the second half against Jamaica, the first U.S. goal comes off Yunus Musa being willing to turn and run downhill. And I think that was missing against Panama. Now, there's a couple of reasons for that. You're always going to play a little bit more conservatively on the road. It's just the reality of, of soccer, both at the club and international level. Um, travel in, in, in CONCACAF, as we all know, is is incredibly difficult thing to do. Um, but I, I, I do think they, they did lack that you know kind of spark of, this is a guy that's going to grab the ball and immediately turn downhill and start running towards goal rather than necessarily checking back into the midfield and then you know retaining possession. And I think that's going to be something that we need to watch for tomorrow night against Costa Rica, which is if they go back to that kind of concept of verticality and, you know, maybe start a Eunice Musa or, you know, maybe have special Lejet, you know, be that kind of guy that when he gets on the ball, he's going to immediately turn, take on an attacker. It's something that I think the United States has really lacked actually. Um, and, and Eunice Musa is kind of this breath of fresh air about it, which is that I think if you watch the U S especially in the last qualification cycle, but early in this qualification cycle, they had a lot of players that weren't really uh, willing to, take players on one-on-one -on -one. you know we didn't really have a lot of guys on the dribble that were you know very effective so what they would do is they would use or attempt to use these complex passing moves in order to break teams down and i think just well how do you beat that what you do is you just sit in a low block four five one and just completely consume space i think with Yunus musa and and timmy Wea in the second half against uh, jamaica especially was a breath of fresh air because these guys were just like okay yeah no we're more than happy to just take you all on the ball um I think, I think they need to get back to that. And I think that was really lacking in Panama was just this level of incisiveness that, you know, Panama was more than happy to sit deep and then just 
you know, win one nil on the counter or, you know, that, that was more than happily what they were able to do. And I think, um, you know, that was missing in the game against Panama. I think we can find it again, especially playing at home. It's Columbus. Columbus has always kind of been this very spiritual balm for the United States men's national team. Um, the other thing I think we also need to keep in mind is this is a group of players that has fielded the two youngest starting 11s in U.S. men's national team history for qualification. This is a very young team. This is a team that's going to make mistakes. This is a team that is figuring it out. Now, I think a lot of, when it comes to World Cup qualification, and especially national teams, especially in World Cup qualification and at World Cups, your job is to kind of create this, 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 this milieu of, you know, he's young, he's on fire, and he's experienced. Like, th- th- those are the three kind of groups of players that you kind of try to pull all these different threads to weave the proverbial, you know, like, Technicolor Dreamcoat. Um, they don't have a lot of players that are experienced. They just don't. Um, you know, through either travel restrictions or the way Bear Halter sees the game, you know, Tyler Adams is the captain of this team. He's 23. You know, like, we're talking about relying on Yunus Musa. He's like 19. You know, Ricardo Pepe is the kind of, has overnight become the face of the of the nation, of the national team. He's 18. Like, these guys just don't have that dyed-in-the-world experience that maybe other nation national teams have, that maybe a smarter, savvier national team will have. Now, They've done it in incredible style and, you know, I mean, obviously winning the Nations League, winning the Gold Cup, um, and, the, and the start they've had to qualification, which I don't think has been bad. Um, but, you know, it, we, we do have to keep in mind and be pressing into the fact that this is a very young team. They're going to do young things. And sometimes that means the, the production day-to-day is not going to be the same. It's not going to be the same over, you know, it's not going to be replicable over three games. You know, they're going to have games where just... They're young and they make mistakes. And I think we saw that in Panama. I have a feeling once they get in front of a home crowd in, in Columbus, that that kind of that spirit of Columbus, oddly enough, will get them going. I think they'll be fine against Costa Rica. I haven't seen anything from Costa Rica outside of Keller Navas to make me think, yeah, this is a team that can really hurt the United States. I mean, I watched them against Honduras at the Nations League, and I just I, I was like, I thought Costa Rica was better than this, you know? So I think it's gonna be okay tomorrow. But I think, you know, you're going to have those games in Panama where just Weird things happen. Let it go. Um, you are always optimistic, or at least a breath of fresh air is what I was trying to say on this. Um, I I kind of felt the other way where, you know, the I'm not hitting the panic button, but I'm starting to just because when you see how close the, the table is and you know that, that tomorrow's game closes out, these October qualifiers, um, you know, worry that the U.S. men is going to get conquered again. Um, you know, that they go out there looking like they don't know how to play. And, of course, bl- blaming Berhalter. Um, I mean, it, it's just... I mean, you feel like one guy's carrying the team when it comes to, depending who's on the pitch at any given time, but especially right now, um, Pepe's, you know, got the goals that are going in. Um, everybody looks to Pulisic still as the golden boy and you know you realize who who you really need on the team um, in the rotation and like you said there there are young guys and you know a, a proud MLS fan here is gonna gonna say that you're glad to see these guys um, but it's just it's just I mean do you think it's just 
the PTSD of not qualifying in 2018, or do you think there's seriously something to worry about only because, you know, the it would have been better if Mexico had won, dare I say, um, because Canada is looking like such a threat, but at the same time, it's because that game, like, these matches have been ending in a way that kind of still keeps the U.S. men's favor on the table? I, I, I do think there is a very deep scar uh, it, what occurred that night in Trinidad in 2017. I think there, there, there is no question that the program irreparably had it, a, a lot of things around, conversations around it changed that night. Um, I also think kind of the way that everything went down with Carlos Cordero and, and his short presidency and, and kind of the, um, the, the, the various legal cases against the Federation and stuff have, have definitely shaped the conversation. I think there's no question about that. Um, I think it also speaks to a very global kind of concept that I think U.S. soccer fans have a bit of an inferiority complex um, that we need to have constant validation that we're good. Um, and mm. it's a friendly reminder also that CONCACAF is hard. Like, it's not easy to do. You know, like, you know, there's there's always talk about, like, European managers coming to MLS and then they play in the CONCACAF Champions League and they're like, we had no idea what we were walking into. Um, so I, I do agree with you. I think that there is a, a, a certain level of scarring that occurred in 2017. I would also say we are really early in qualification, like very, very globally early in this whole entire thing. I mean, it's only been four games played. You know, there's time here. Like, this is not how it's going to look in, you know, March or April. You know, like, it, it's going to look differently. Um, but if I'm a U.S. fan right now, I'm looking at if we get five point, if we got five points from that first window, and if we win tomorrow night, get six points out of the second window, I'm feeling pretty good. I'm feeling pretty good about where we are. Um, I think if 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 it's a draw tomorrow or if it's a loss, then I then I agree with you. Then it maybe it's time to start kind of, you know, how they have like the little like plexiglass thing over the the panic button. I'm flipping that off. I'm not necessarily hitting the panic button at that point. Um, but I do think, you know, three points tomorrow is going to make everyone feel a lot better about things. I, I think three points tomorrow makes everyone forget that Panama happened. And I think that's the end goal. If you look at a lot of the qualifiers coming up, they have some very advantageous qualifiers at home. I mean, they have to play El Salvador at home. I think, you know, Panama at home is a is a guaranteed three points. Um, the Mexico qualifier in November is going to be a bit of a, a, a difficult proposition. But if you look at the way that the United States played Mexico this year... I don't really think they've got a lot of reason to be concerned considering what happened in the two games they played in two major finals. This is a team that's playing without fear. I just think you're going to get some results in CONCACAF that are like this Panama game where it's just you have to buy into the fact that, okay, this is going to happen. I think it's very different in terms of a conversation of, you know, if we, lo- if we had lost Jamaica or drawn Jamaica and then we lose in Panama, well, then all of a sudden this, this Costa Rica game becomes a very different story. Now, I think the United States needs to win this game i think there's no question because in in Concacaf, it's all about winning your home qualifiers i think they're in a good position to do that i think you know anthony robinson rested we don't exactly know the extent of Sergio Dest's injury but it seems like he'll be good to go um you know they'll have a fully you know ricardo pepe will probably start in this game you know the kids will be back out there and i think we all like that because it's kind of like exciting to buy into this very young generation um, but again, I think the conversation of do we hit the panic button, I think it's a conversation we should have at the end of the window, not necessarily right now. And we will. Um, speaking of, maybe, I don't know, Christian, we'll do an episode on just refereeing. And <laughs> Look, look, okay, okay, look, I, I get it. 
the refereeing in Jamaica in that Jamaica game. I get what CONCACAF wants to do. They want to it's it's the same thing that FIFA does. It's it's just it's this directive that's been handed out, which is that we need to expand the game to more places. We need to give more opportunities to people. I get it. If you are a 31-year-old referee who is refereeing a critical World Cup qualifier, no. Just like give him other games. Because you know, like obviously he's going to learn from this experience and probably not have another World Cup qualifier this this cycle. Because I mean, just some of the calls in that game were ridiculous. I get it, but there has it's every single time in this region, isn't it? Like it's every single time. Like it's just there's there's it, it, it's part of the complexity of Concacaf. It doesn't serve that referee to go out and have, which quite frankly was a bit of a shocker. And then get all the pelters and all the insults and whatever. What does he learn from that? You know, like, how does that help him as a referee? You know, it completely destroys his confidence. And, you know, we're all in a better, we're all in a worse place because of it. Like, this is why, like, I, I appreciate, like, why they're doing this. And I get it. And I'm, I'm happy for that. But it's like, you have to equip these referees so much better. And you have to have them get more games at this kind of level in a, in a way that, like, isn't in a meaningful game, if that makes sense. Like, you know, he should be refereeing friendlies for at least the next three years before he starts taking over qualification just to get the experience of being in these kind of high pressure situations. It just, it's, it's, it's just, it's CONCACAF. I mean, that's, that's what we have to live with. But I think, you know, I understand the move to like have more referees from more, you know, diverse backgrounds. I, I, I applaud that and I appreciate that. But it doesn't help them and it doesn't help the teams if you don't equip those referees to be successful. And it, it's clear that it was kind of, well, we have a good idea, but we don't have a very good plan of how to execute that idea. 100%. I couldn't, couldn't agree more. Um, and that's all we have to say about that. Because when you're criticizing the MLS refs, it's something else. Um, I could be fine I, like Phil Neville if I could criticize MLS refs. So. I was going to say... Um, Okay, are we ready to talk LA Galaxy? I think we are. Okay, so yikes. Um, the Galaxy sit in sixth place, um, one point separating them from Minnesota. Uh, again, one of those things where the results over the weekend, uh, when we technically have an international break, is working in the Galaxy's favor. Uh, starting back with that El Trafico um worst fan experience at the stadium aside if we're looking at just the team um obviously it's it feels like do or die time it's time for la galaxy to start winning um you know the way that the galaxy have been playing the way that lafc has been losing, you know, it was one of those things where you're relieved to see it in a 1-1 draw. You're just like, oh my God, get us out of here. Like, I'm done. Um, and Grant Sear gets his goal. But it's it's not ideal, right? Like, we wanted a four-goal pounding <laughs> against, you know, on LAFC. Um, I think we were expecting perhaps more. I mean, I saw the Galaxy, especially in the second half, really taking those shots really coming on the attack, waking up kind of late, but just not, once again, able to get the ball 
in in the back of the net um, and also once again up being able to stick a clean sheet um, you know I'm not gonna criticize bond too hard just because you know it is what it is at at this point um, but when you have other teams that you're looking ahead for the galaxy to face I mean obviously beatable teams like Portland but the galaxy really need to start winning especially games at home I feel like galaxy fans are really becoming disillusioned to the point where, I mean, I think it's going to be low cap at the match this Saturday. Yeah, I think, you know, in terms of at least LFC's goal that we conceded, I mean, that you watch that set piece back, and, and I, I commented on myself last night as I was prepping for this, I was like, how did Fall sneak that in there? I mean, that that's that's one of those set pieces where it's just, you know, kind of you have to put up your hand and say, okay, you know, we did everything right defensively. It was just a center back that was a little bit more determined to get to the ball, and it happens. Um I will say, you know, I think the Galaxy, especially in the second half, really upped the intensity against LAFC. You know, I was, I was very surprised that LAFC held on as well as they did, mm-hmm. considering how you know defensively frail they've been this season. I mean, obviously, I, I've railed against possession as a meaningful stat, but I'm going to use it here as a meaningful stat. I mean, 63.6% possession rate for the Galaxy indicates a team that is confident on the ball, that is confident in, in what it does. It just, it's one of those things where... The ball just doesn't go in the back of the net. I mean, expected goals in this game. I mean, the Galaxy won that battle. Would whatever it means was one point six six expected uh, expected goals. But you know, obviously, expected goals is expected. The ball has to go in the back of the net. Um, you know, obviously, hitting the post or hitting the bar in the post twice in the second half um, indicated that, that they were getting closer and closer and closer, but just couldn't get it done. Uh, I obviously, and I agree with you when it comes to the LAFC game. It's one of also those games where it's a rivalry game you kind of have to throw the book out the window about the form of both teams just simply because teams get up for rivalry games in a different way than they do for, you know, say, I don't know, us playing Houston versus us playing LAFC. Um, Especially when no one has to travel further than down the 110. That is true. Uh, I'd also say I'm happy that we didn't lose (laughs) Um, Mm -hmm. because it, it did feel like one of those draws where you think about where both teams are relative to the, the, the global conversation about the Western conference it did feel like one of those games where, you know, both teams were so desperate for a win that a draw was kind of the only logical conclusion to this game. Um, and it is also one of those games where a draw feels like a loss for both teams. You know, for, for LAFC, I think this draw ends their season effectively. You know, I mean, you're talking about a team that's on 1.21 points per game, you know, like three points behind Vancouver, and then also four points behind Minnesota, uh, five behind the Galaxy. I just don't see them making up that line, especially with San Jose bearing down on them um, and who has actually kind of awoken pretty aggressively in the second half of the season. Um, But it did feel like a loss for both teams, I will say. Now, I think, you know, I saw a lot of good things from the Galaxy. I mean, the play to spring Grancia for his goal is, I mean, that's, that that is what Vaney's been looking for, right? Like, using your number 10s effectively in order to spring runners in, into space. That's why they went out and got Cabral. That's why they went and got Grand Seer. You know, fast guys that are really good about tucking off outside backs or center back shoulders and then just using, you know, either Sasha Kleshton's passing ability or Vesquez's passing ability. And if they can do it, getting Legette's passing ability to kind of hit that space and have just Grand Seer or Cabral in one-on-one with a goalkeeper and basically turn the, the game into a track meet. It worked on that goal. I think the problem with the Galaxy is that Again, they, they, they fail to move the ball quickly enough at times. Um, we've talked about this extensively this year. Um, but, you know, it's, it's, again, as you said, it's taking advantage of chances, right? Like, theoretically, 
you know, if you look at kind of the way the galaxy are built, Cabral and Grand Sear should have 10 and 10 each, and Chicharito should have, you know, 25 goals. Now, Chicharito obviously has been injured, and I think that's, I think that's a very valid conversation about, like, a lot of this, this nine-game run where, you know, the Galaxy haven't won a game. Not having Chicharito did really hurt the Galaxy, and I, I think all of us kind of are sitting there being like, oh, we never really thought we'd talk about it in that way. Um, they did play some very tough teams, but, you know, it's, I think our constant conversation about this run has been they've had so many opportunities and they just haven't taken them. And that's the mark of a team that I think is still trying to figure it out, which I think we can all agree is, is kind of been the story of the season. And also a team that I, I think knows what it, what, it, what it should do to be successful, but isn't confident in doing that, if that makes sense. And I think, you know, there were some moments in this game where it just kind of, it didn't look like they were confident in the attack. And I, I, I just wonder how to fix that. Um, you know, obviously, Jovalich and Chicharito up top is, is probably the, the future of all of this. And it looked really, really good when they got up top together. Um, but, you know, they, they, they have, I'd, I'd say, you know, the Portland game is going to be a difficult game. Portland's always, you know, under Sabre, I said, it's always been a bit of a, a combative, difficult team to play. But then they've got the Dynamo and Dallas one after the other. And if they don't find, I'd say, maybe four points out of those two games, there's, I have serious concerns about making the playoffs. And, and again, it's, it's kind of shaping up into the 2018 season when we had to play Minnesota, or, uh, when we had to play Houston on the last day and had to win. Mm-hmm. They play Minnesota on the last day of the season it's looking like that might be the scenario again. And I really don't want to go back there. <laughs> yeah. And, and Cabral was not available to play that night. And I know that, um, um, Vanny said that that was between, you know, him and, and, uh, Cabral. But the thing is, you know, us galaxy fans were, were calling for Cabral to be subbed in at some point um when you're looking at the subs that are being made i mean you did get the sense that they were going for the draw i mean you have stairs coming in you have uh question coming in and you almost kind of i don't know it's kind of hard to say because i want to say you want to start them but then at the same time i get what they're going for like some more solidarity um especially in the back and and to just kind of get more control get some fresh legs in there I mean, like I said, to me, it, it, it looked it looked pretty decent um, at the end there. I, I really I really thought the Galaxy would have been able to to make it. And then, you know, you get worried on those those counters that LAFC can run. So, um, like you said, it's it is maybe one of those. It is like a Panama thing where it's like, look, it's a rivalry. Let's just forget it happened and let's let's just go on to the next one. Yeah, I agree, I agree with you that a lot of the late game substitutions kind of did feel like, all right, cool. If we can get a point out of this, we're great. Like, thank you. Like, let's just let's just go. Um, mm-hmm. Which I'm okay with. You know, it's a rivalry game and, and and they get frenetic and weird. I mean, you talk about that three three draw we had earlier this year. Um, you know, but I, I think you know they're out of all the teams kind of in this stretch run. The Galaxy have probably the toughest schedule out of all of those teams. Yeah. And that's rough. Um, but unfortunately, that's the way the schedule is written. And it, and it, it, it kind of comes to this point of like, well, you know, this is why winning in the early season matters. Like, this is why going that, you know, getting those 11 games before halfway was really important, you know? like, um, But I, I think, you know, it's... It, 
it, I think a lot of people are going to feel a lot better if we win this weekend against Portland. Like, I think a lot of people are just going to feel a lot better. Um, 100%. And I, I understand why, and I, I actually completely agree. Like, I think my conversations around this team when we come on here next week, when we kind of unpack that Portland game, are going to be a lot more positive about the general scope of things if we win this weekend. Um, I'm, not, I'm not negative yet. I think, you know, just kind of looking at the way points per game and everything and, and, and thinking about how the Galaxy played in that first half of the season, I have a feeling the Galaxy can dig out enough points to, to get them over the line. I think I don't expect a long playoff run, but I think they're going to get there. Um, and I think it's just it's about building momentum for next year. Uh, I will say, you know, Portland's always been, been tough to play. They've, they've been on an excellent run of form. Um, they haven't lost in the last five, uh, one, four, drawn one. You know, the Galaxy, of course, you know, in a nine-game winless skid, um, but they've drawn five of those games. They haven't lost a lot of games. It's just, you know, they lost three in a row and then they draw to LAFC. Um, so, you know, it's not it's not as, as bad as theoretically it should look. It is concerning. I think there's no question about that, but it's not like utter free fall. Like, they, they've at least gotten points here and there. I have, you know, they, they need to find three points in the next three games, at least. Um, preferably six. Uh but you know that again, that's difficult. They they play a, a a a Portland team that has aspirations on the playoffs. I mean, Portland's currently on forty six points. They're holding on to that last uh, home playoff game. They've got a five point gap on, or sorry, excuse me, a uh, a seven point gap on uh, Real Salt Lake. Um, so I think that's kind of done and dusted. I I don't think a home playoff game is necessarily in the conversation for the Galaxy right now. Um, but you know they've they've been pretty poor away. Uh, you know, they've, uh, you know, they do leak goals. So I think, you know, it's, it's going to be interesting to watch that game happen. Uh, but I think, you know, for the galaxy, it's, it's currently about making sure they stay ahead of Vancouver, which they've got a two point lead already. Um, I like, I like the numbers under the galaxy a little more than I like the numbers under Vancouver. Um, and I, I think, you know, if they can, if they can dig out, you know, maybe six points out of these next three games, it's going to look a lot brighter. Yeah, absolutely. I can't emphasize enough that, you know, the G's are home again and in, they've had, the other guys have had a break, the ones that have not been playing uh, internationally, you know, uh, Victor Vasquez got an assist on the last game, Chicharito's ready to go, um, Jovalich is ready to go. So I, I really, really, really think not only is this a must win, but it's a can win and you know, we don't do predictions on this show, um, but yeah, really, really looking forward to, to watching that game. It, it is going to feel like a playoff contention. Um, and, and, and it could very well be a playoff game. Let's like, let's, yeah, it, this, this could saying. be a matchup we see in the playoffs. So, uh, you mentioned Chicharito and his work rate. I got to say, mm-hmm. in El Trafico, he was on fire in terms of his work rate. And yeah, and you, you can Absolutely. feel, you can feel it's close again. You know, like when... When we started talking about Chicharito in the, in the uh, first part of the season, where you know, like he went through that like two game slump, and all of us were like, "It's just, it's, it's almost there," and then he started scoring like every game. I'm getting that sense again, where I'm like, "It's almost there. He's just, it's, it's got to go in the net one more time, and then it's just going to happen." Um, I think it was really good for Grounds here to get a goal, you know, and and you know, we can talk about Cabral, and and I think you know, I think Cabral coming into this game might have change the shape of the match because you know if you look at Cabral in the three three uh three three draw at their stadium LFC didn't have an answer for Kevin Cabral um I think 
Kevin Cabral's really suffered uh, in his transition to LA. And I think it does happen to players and it especially happens to young players. Cause you know, you're, you're young, you don't have the, the, the global experience, you know, you don't have the maturity, et cetera. Uh, but, you know, but I, I really do hope um, that maybe getting let, left out against LAFC and, and, and all of that kind of lights something under him um, because I, I do think it can come good. Uh, but I, I do think I, I like where this team is going. I also, I, one thing about El Trafico that I think we don't talk about, we're not talking about enough is how better defensively they looked. Like, it did look a little bit more cohesive, a little bit smarter, a little bit, you know, more comfortable. And I mean, I've long maintained Sega Kubeli is probably going to give me a heart attack before the end of the year with one of those, like, mazy runs he makes the defense with the ball. Um, but, you know, it did look a little more solid than it has looked all season. And I think maybe that speaks to something in terms of, you know, getting reps together and, and, and kind of figuring out the balance of that defense. Um, but it did, I think you know, maybe the Galaxy sacrificed a little bit of attacking intent for defensive solidity after, especially after, you know, the last time they played this team, it was, you know, a six goal kind of game. Well, what do you do after that? Well, you, you know, kind of correct the mean and sure, you're not going to score a lot of goals, but at least you don't concede three, right? I, I think yeah, they, that's what I was thinking that it, at least it was one, one. Yeah. It, like they, it was, it was definitely more evenly played. They looked a little bit more assured. Now this was not a classic. This is not going to be one that you know, traffic heads, you know, in, in 10 years time, you know, kind of thrown the VHS player. Like this was not, it was not a great game. I mean, no. it's all el- around. <laughs> yeah. Um, but I think, you know, just defensively, it was a little bit more solid. They did look a little bit more cohesive in the attack than they've looked over the past couple of games. I'd say about the past four games, they looked a little bit more like they kind of knew their rotations. And I think that's good framework to have going into this last run of, uh, whatever, uh, it's six games. Um, I think that's that's really going to help them um, in the coming games, but they 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 desperately need three points, um, and I I desperately hope it comes on the weekend. Yeah, and let's also hope that the other results continue in the galaxy's favor. Um, you know, I I hate that like you're saying when it comes down to that, right? When you're looking at decision day, not only are you relying on how the other games are going to fare, but then you're also looking at who you're going to face, right? And this is what it's coming down to, and this is what it feels like again. Um, look, the Galaxy are on a winless streak, and what better way to snap it than at home against Portland? Um, you know, it's decision uh-huh. day this year. I was just, I'm kind of looking at both conferences. Is going to be something else, man. There's good. I I have a feeling there are going to be games on decision day that kick teams out of the playoffs. I mean, yeah, like if you look at, I, at at the Eastern Conference, I mean, there's seven points that separates Nashville from Atlanta. Um, in the West, I mean, obviously, no one's touching Seattle. Um, but like, you know, yeah, know Minnesota on 38, <laughs> Vancouver on 37, San Jose on form in 33, the Galaxy on 39, Salt Lake on 39. I mean, there's, it could be a bloodbath, guys. Like, hold on. Yeah, and, and like you said, the how difficult the schedule has been for the Galaxy and for them to be able to have players try to adjust and keep up with that, especially when they've come from elsewhere. Um, yeah, I drawing a bit of a, a blank what I was going to finish saying, but, but basically all, all I'm trying to get at is hang in there. Don't, don't give up the hope yet. Don't, that's what I was going to say. Chill out with the Vanny out y'all. <laughs> like, um, especially, you know, you're not seeing the results of the standards that we have, but you have to keep in mind 
what we're working toward here and what we're working for. And like you said, it's just a playoff run, not necessarily a long one. Um, you know, you're, you're understandably criticizing the signings and things that are going on, but I, I really like this Gal Galaxy team all around. Like when you look at every guy on the team, I, I know people give Cabral a hard time and Koulibaly is under pressure as well, but I think I understand where everybody's coming from, but at the same time, it's like, look, give these guys a chance. If you're like Vanny out and like this guy out, like nobody's going to be able to learn how to play together and be able to get things right. I think it's also, and, and this is kind of the same thing we talked about with the, the men's national team. This is still a young team. I mean, you talk about Efren Alvarez and Julian Rahu, who were just named to the uh, MLS 22 under 22 list. Um, you know, you talk about, you know, Cabral, who's very young. You talk about Grancier, who, you know, is starting to just enter the prime of his career. I think this is, they're going to make young mistakes. They're going, they're going to be young. Um, and Vanny's job, and, and he did it very well in Toronto with Ayo Akinola, um, with um, Marky Delgado, you know, a, a lot of other Toronto youth talent, um, Schaffelberg and um, Suba Endo, and Daniel Levitz actually too. Um, he was very good about molding that talent, but the problem is that takes time. And I think, you know, Galaxy fans are a little impatient um, because of previous successes, uh, and that's mm -hmm. all well and good. Um, and to be fair, most Galaxy fans are U.S. men's fans yeah. as well. I think I think there's a double-sided thing it's, going on here. It's just going to have to get used to the fact that this team is very young, and yeah. you know, it, it young teams take time to come together because you're not just dealing with you know the other things of 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 building a team. You know, like figuring out who the leaders are in the locker room. You know, getting used to passage of play, whatever. You're also dealing with young players that you have to teach. And, and, and are informative parts of their careers. Like, all the balance, like, kind of juggling all those plates is not easy to do. Um, and I think Vinny's done a very good job of it so far. I think there's no question about that. And honestly, if, if the Galaxy make the playoffs and, and win a playoff game or two, I honestly think Vinny should be up for coach of the year. Um, but, you know, it, 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 does, it does take a certain amount of time and patience. And I think the Galaxy have suffered a lot from and it's, this has been especially true over the past, I'd say, three, four years of, of just coaches not getting that time. Now, they had to fire Ronaldo. He was absolutely terrible. Mm -hmm. um, obviously, Siggy's health was the, the driving factor there in terms of his departure from the club. And, and, and Guillermo, I think, had lost the locker room in a pretty significant way. But they finally have a guy that I think everyone kind of is fighting for. And I think they have to give him that time. And I think, they, I think they, it does feel like they are. Um, but, it, you know, you just hope that kind of, they share that same global view as we do. Yeah, that, that sense of urgency, um, the sense of like fight that you want to see in the galaxy, I, I get that. You're just like, I'm not sure that I'm I'm feeling it in, in a lot of these guys. But, um, you know, as I mean, they're aware of what they've got to do. Um, you know, I'm in the stands shouting with y'all, you know, saying you know, get more than one shot on goal, like, just shoot it, like, get it in the back of the net, you know, like, oh my god, get that, clear the ball, get that out of there, like, you know, you're, I'm, I'm there with y'all, and, well, I mean, and Christian's there too, <laughs> when, when, when we can be, you know, so I, I feel you, and, you know, thank you so much always for your support, um, we still have issue two, Elias House magazine, available, um, one note I am going to say, because it was the Landon Donovan Day of Honor, it was very emotional, it was very wonderful to see him. Um, I was able to be at the 
Bonita Elementary School uh, mural unveiling, which was really, really um, just heartwarming. And it was kind of like a preview of the honors that he was getting for the statue at the stadium. Um, but the statue reveal, like, I'm so proud of Landon and I'm all for the statue. But, Dane, that thing is terrifying. Like, don't blink, Doctor Who fans. <laughs> Yeah, I, uh, I I agree. the 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 art direction is a very interesting choice. <laughs> All right. Well, that's a wrap for today. Keep it here. We'll be back next week. Can't wait to see you. <laughs>